In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. Welcome back, everyone, to the Bravo Docket. We are finally returning to the Girardi lawsuit. I think after the Hulu documentary came out, everyone had a reignited interest in what the heck is going on with Tom Girardi and Erica Girardi's many, many, many lawsuits. And we covered them in prior episodes. We did a big overview, I believe, in episode four of what happened or what the scheme being alleged was and all that and how settlements work. We touched on it again in the Jersey versus Girardi episode where we discussed how he got away with it for so long and how they did turn a blind eye to his misdeeds. And now we're here to give you kind of an overview of how we got here and where we are. And we're thinking we're gonna split this into two parts. The first part will be an overview of the lawsuits that have gotten us to today. And then part two will be the the bankruptcies, which are the proceedings that are occurring at this moment. Yeah, we're pretty excited to talk about all this. It's pretty in-depth. One thing I just wanna say before we start too far is that we really appreciate the reviews that y'all have been leaving. Ceci and I wake up in the morning and we check and when there's new reviews, whoever mm-hmm. wakes up first and sees it first, we screenshot it and text it to each other and we get so excited because y'all leave some good reviews and like they're well written and like cute and intelligent and we love them. So just thank you guys so much for that. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Agreed. I usually wake up late though. So <laughs> <laughs> So first, do you want to talk about the documentary and your thoughts watching it? And I guess thoughts and feelings from watching The Hustler and The Housewife. You know, I think I shared some of the opinions that everybody had when they started with Daniel Stop. <laughs> oh, she, yeah. When she clacked in and... Like sauntered in. Yeah. Um, and I honestly, I could only imagine Erica seeing that and hearing Danielle say, well, she was the best casting since me. 
and then having like Danielle Staub give you advice on <laughs> national well I guess on Hulu I mean that would have just been infuriating I think under any circumstance I liked I liked the documentary I thought it was well done I, I would have appreciated it if they would have given more I know that they couldn't have gotten housewives to talk that are currently on the show but I think Dana Wilkie could have had a really interesting story to talk about because she did get charged with misprison of a felony. She's still on supervised release. I thought she did a great job with what she was talking about and explaining some of the issues. But when she went into, and maybe she did talk about this, we just didn't see it. But when she went into, mm -hmm. there's so much pressure for housewives to put on parties and things like that. I think maybe she had given some of her own personal experience about how she had made some of those mistakes. It would have been illuminating, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. But maybe she did and they just didn't show it. I don't know. Right. What, what about right. you? I thought from a legal perspective, maybe just because you and I are, have been so close to the filings and all that, it didn't feel like anything new. Yeah. It was nice hearing from the victims, like having their voices be front and center and seeing them on screen like that was really impactful. But it didn't. Yeah, I didn't learn anything new. But one thing that I thought was new and obviously hadn't heard before were his voicemails. Oh, I thought that was yeah. just like, <laughs> those were chilling and it really showed, it really showed how intentional it was. Yeah. It was, it was, he knew what he was doing. It was so manipulative and it's amazing that he has such a, um, almost harmless appearance still, even though we know what he's done, you look at him and he just looks like kind of a sweet old man that is not an evil mastermind that's embezzled money from widows and orphans it's it's it was chilling right right it made it seem far more willful like the yes. fact that he was calling them and being like oh i'll invest your money for you you don't need it yet or i'm not the bad guy i'm a good guy here who what attorney i've never heard of an attorney having to call a client and be like i'm the good guy what the, what the heck do you mean you're the good guy? You just represented me. Like, what? You don't need to... Why are you trying to convince them that you're the good guy? Unless you're the bad guy. It was so manipulative. It was, hey, I'm a good guy. I'm fighting for you. Why would you, why would you, why would you do this to me? It was like an abusive relationship where someone's talking and they've done terrible things to you. And then they're calling and they're being like, you know, I didn't mean it. You know, I'm... You, that type is almost... Yeah. 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 Yeah, that, I agree. That was yeah. that was awful. And then like attorneys don't invest people's money. No, like no, <laughs> no. <laughs> we had a fan send us an email. Her name's Alyssa, and it was something that Ceci had thought of, and I hadn't really thought about too much. But you can't promise people returns. I mean, it's a financial crime. It's a securities fraud thing. You can't say I'm going to invest your money and promise a specific re return. Like that's not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> not okay. We're, we're already bad with numbers. Like they're, they already have rules in place for us to not commingle funds. You think they're going to let us go invest your money and like, no. <laughs> yeah, <that's> yeah. Not. <laughs> it's not a thing you can do. Um, <laughs> I mean, so one of my personal injury cases that I had, it was a terrible car wreck. I ended up getting this 18 year old kid a, a lot of money. I got him policy limits on the insurance policy. And I was begging him to go to a financial advisor, like an actual, not an attorney, somebody outside of me. And because I had to give him this giant check and I knew he was going to blow it. But at the end, yeah. he wouldn't do it. And at the end of the day, like I, you know, while we were waiting for the settlement funds to come through, I was like, hey, I know these good financial advisors. 
they're real. They're not, they don't have anything to do with my firm. They can help you so that this money grows, you know? Yeah. I understand you want to spend part of it. That's great. But like, think, think hard about setting some of it aside. Cause this is a kid that's never had really any money in his life before and he wouldn't do it. And at the end of the day, I just had to give him the check. And that was, that's his, he's an adult. He's 18. It's his money. And he did blow it home, but that's his choice. Right. That's his money. So yeah. I, I really, it was so disingenuous for him to call and say, well, you know, it's concerning. You know, we don't want young people like you making mistakes with their money. It's like, no, you, that's not, that's not your decision. No, yeah. that's his money. That's his money. Yeah. And it just like goes to show how much he knew that they didn't know that that wasn't okay. Like he was taking advantage of the fact that they didn't know that that's not how it's supposed to go. Right. Oh, those voicemails. That was like the highlight of it for me. Yeah, it was, it was just, it was disconcerting. Um, There wasn't anything new about Erica. I thought that was really kind of sensational, but I guess if you hadn't, if you were interested in the story and you didn't know, or you didn't watch Housewives or you were outside of it and you watched the documentary, they did need to kind of show why Mm -hmm. that was so kind of sensational. So I I guess I get that from a storytelling point of view. A lot of my non-Bravo watching friends, I was like, go watch this. You'll know (laughs) what I like spend my weekends talking about. (laughs) I know. I tried to get my husband to watch it and he's like, I've heard you talk about it. I'm good. (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) It did bring up like, I think again, questions as to how much Erica knew because there were, they did point to like the service of documents. Do you want to talk about it more? All right. So January 7th, the year 2000, Erica and Tom marry with no prenup. And when we start talking about the divorce, we'll give you some more insight on why maybe a prenup would have been beneficial for Erica. Then in 2015, Erica joins the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And, you know, we all saw Erica on the Real Housewife of Beverly Hills. Then in January 17, 2019, I mean, there were other lawsuits filed, but we're going to kind of stick with the ones that were notable right around 2019, just to kind of narrow it down to that scope. There's that really good LA Times article that goes into all the other lawsuits that had been filed. But as far as we know, Erica hadn't been named as a party or served in any of those. So we're going to kind of stick with the ones that are close in time to what we've all been paying attention to right now. Mm -hmm. So January 17, 2019, in the LA Superior Court, the law finance group files a lawsuit. Girardi actually did appear in court for that. We didn't see any pleadings or documents that would indicate that Erica knew for sure that that was going on. However, in May 24th, 2019, an Arizona federal case was filed. We mentioned this briefly in one of our previous podcasts, and this is one saying, you know, there's the over $5 million loan that wasn't paid back. Erica is personally named in this lawsuit. So I went through the pleadings in that lawsuit to see if there was any specific evidence that Erica had known. And so she, they tried to serve her. Tom accepted service on her behalf. So it's signed by Tom Girardi. And we don't know for sure whether or not we can't tell from the pleadings whether or not Tom actually showed that document to her and that she knew for sure. There's no evidence that she was deposed in that case. It actually went into arbitration. Do you want to know, like, for people that don't know what serving is? Oh, tell us about service. <laughs> it's a due process issue. You have to know whether or not you have a lawsuit against you. You have to know. It's usually with a complaint or I don't know if you're being, if they want you to be deposed, you have to be served. And that just means that you're getting the papers and any supporting documents. 
directly handed to you. And there are different, I think, rules depending on where it's happening of what they mean by directly to you. Sometimes it's like you have to hand it to the person or you can leave it at their place of business or with a family member. And it doesn't have to be served by the attorneys. It usually isn't. You hire a process server, which is someone whose job is just to serve those documents. I've had to serve documents once before. I've done it before, too. (laughs) Yeah. I was losing it. I was in law school. You did it in law school? Yeah, I was in law school because I was in a clinic. So we were like practicing and representing actual people. But I had to go serve this woman's former partner. And she's a professor at a college. So I was like sneaking around the college trying to find her office. Isn't that so scary? I would have preferred just to pay someone to do it. It's like, I don't know, they're not going to do anything to you. But like, you have to give them the documents and be like, you don't have to say you've been served. But you know, (laughs) did you say you've been served? Did you say it? No, I actually I probably did it improperly. We just left it with someone that like a coworker of hers. And then that's we had to fill out the paperwork and say that we did that and he had to sign it. And it typically has to be notarized. We've talked about notary process. Yeah, that's in our that's in our uh, (laughs) yeah. Mary Cosby episode. Yeah. So yeah, it's like a whole process. And I guess that's why it's called process servers. But yeah, that's what it means to get served. Yes. Okay. So but I skipped ahead a little bit. All right. So May 24, 2019, the Arizona case is filed in federal court in Arizona. Erica is named as a defendant in that case. And then by June 19, 2019, Reality Blurb and other gossip sites have picked up that lawsuit. So that's June 19th, 2019. That's the earliest one I could find. There may have been an earlier one, but that's the earliest one I could find that was still up. And then June 26th, 2019, that's when the Gomez case is filed against Tom and Girardi Keese in LA Superior Court. And Rigomez was the one who was the main guy in the... In the documentary, yes. Documentary, yeah. And then July 22nd, 2019, that's when Tom accepts the summons on behalf of Erica for the Arizona federal case, for the Arizona federal loan. So I know that I'm just, I mean, I don't know personally, but I am confident that all of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills cast members have Google alerts for when one of their cast members' names comes up. I mean, it just makes sense that you would do that. And so a Google alert would have come up saying there's this lawsuit that names Erica in at least June, at least within a month after that Arizona federal lawsuit for the $5 million loan was filed. You know that those things were picked up by gossip sites. So I have no doubt that the cast members saw those. I think that's when she goes on Watch What Happens Live at some point is talking about, you know, oh, yeah, I can't talk about it. It's a lawsuit, blah, blah, blah. So we kind of, and they talked about that in the documentary too, how people just kind of like, well, it seemed complicated. So no one really paid as much attention to it. Well, I mean, that's also kind of around the time when Dorit had her stuff going on. Mauricio had his cheating rumors going on. So it just seems to me like they all had this weird, don't talk about the lawsuits or don't talk about the rumors on Beverly Hills. And that's when they were making up the BS gross storylines about the dogs. Well, you know, it wasn't a gross storyline because what she did was kind of bad. But it was kind of like a look over here. Don't look over here. Like, yeah, that's how the whole season felt. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Which I I think is why the fans, including Ceci and I, are so look, Ceci and I as attorneys, we get it. You cannot talk about the details of a lawsuit Anything that might waive attorney-client privilege, your lawyer is going to tell you not to talk about it. We understand that. But you can say, 
what's alleged against you in a petition and say, you know, we don't agree with it. We deny it. And we're leaving everything else to our attorneys. Like you don't have to act like it's not happening or like you can't say it exists. And then the fact, I think the misdirection is also what irritates fans so much. We look at what they did to Lisa Vanderpump, who I will admit, I have perhaps a conflict on this issue because she is personally one of my favorites. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I'm a little salty about how she was treated. And also look at what they did to Denise, who I very much enjoyed having on the show. And it's like, well, you just have to be honest. It's important to be honest. You have to tell the truth. And we're all like, okay, so even if y'all don't think Erica knew anything on the show, it's like, why does it seem like so far Garcelle is the only one that's asking any real questions? Right. It's, it's going to be, it's like what people care. Like we don't think we're like, do you have all the scandals you want, but at least have some equity and fairness there needs, it needs to be discussed. Like it needs to be brought up. It's so unfair. It seems the way other people were treated and the way things at least so far are going now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Back to the Ragomez case. I thought it was really interesting. Tom appears to have just, Tom Girardi appears to have just ignored the fact that the Bergomez case was filed. In the LA court pleadings, we saw evidence of service of process to Tom's secretaries at Girardi Keys. We saw evidence that documents had been left. And there's no way he didn't know that this was going on, but he didn't answer the lawsuit. So he didn't file an answer denying and then didn't show up for anything. And then April 20th, 2020, in the Ragomez case, judgment is entered against Girardi. So that means that there's the court saying, here's a legal pleading, the Ragomez family wins, their claims are valid, and we here's an order saying it's, you know, it can be enforced, essentially. Mm-hmm. So then May 7th, 2020, there's an application for order. This is when Erica first gets involved in the Ragomez case, or at least they're attempting to involve Erica in the Ragomez case. That's May 7th, 2020. There's an application for order requiring Erica to appear to discuss here's where the assets are or whatever, because they're trying to enforce the judgment and figure out where they can get that. And no bankruptcy has been filed yet. Then on May 20th, 2020, so this is, we're going to go talk about service again. Tom Girardi is personally served in the Ragomez case at his house, which means that a actual human being went up to his house in Pasadena, knocked on the door. And Tom Girardi answered the door or came to the door and he was handed the papers. We don't know if they said you've been served, but (laughs) he was handed (laughs) all of the documents with the order and the things that you have to appear now and talk about where, you know, where your finances are so we can get this judgment against you enforced. Then two days later, May 22nd, 2020, Erica is personally served in the Ragomez case, which kind of makes me wonder, and I'm just speculating, did Tom just take the papers and not tell Erica who it was or anything about it? Because I kind of feel like maybe Erica would have not answered the door if she knew it was a process server about a big amount of money. I'm just I'm just speculating. I don't know. But you said she was personally served, so she was handed the document. Yeah, no, on May 22nd. That's what I'm saying. It's because Tom was personally served at the Pasadena house two days earlier, And then two days later, Erica is personally served at her house in Pasadena. And that's an application in order for appearance and examination, a civil subpoena for personal appearance and production of documents. So like saying you have to show up with all of this, these documents that we're asking for and give us this information. And it's a court order. And once you've been personally served, then you're bound by that court order. Right. To show up and produce those things. So Erica definitely knew she got handed the documents. I have no doubt she, you know, I mean, I don't know, unless she just threw them in the trash, but you've been served with a lawsuit. 
So Right. Yeah. So she definitely saw them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's May 22nd, 2020. Personally served. So that's why I was saying I think maybe Tom didn't mention to her <laughs> that there was Oh, like the prior ones? That he was that he was served two days earlier. Got like, it. You know, yeah. Erica's answering the door with you know, Diago and being oh, like, oh, hi. That's what I was trying yeah. to say. Got it. I'm like got wondering it. if Tom I was like, wait, no, she got it. Or not. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. like maybe like, have Mikey answer the door, not you, you know? Yeah. He's just like, go get it, honey. <laughs> uh, so the yeah. writ of execution for the judgment that's filed in the Ragomez case um, a month later is for 11 million... $118,094.24. That's a lot of money. This is the case that we saw in the, where you see Tom being deposed in the video of it, where he was deposed remotely. And he's saying, I don't have any money. He says at one point I had about 80 million or 50 million in cash. It's all gone. When he gives that testimony, that's Tom responding to the summons in the Ragomez case to be examined about where the money is, what he did with it, why he hasn't paid it and so on. Um, so that's when, that was September 26th, 2020, when Tom d- gives that deposition. Then September 28th, 2020, Erica is served again at the Pasadena home at 2.52 p.m. with an order for appearance and civil subpoena in the Ragomez case. So this, apparently the other one got delayed. So now she's been personally served again. And it specifically says that Erica is ordered to appear before the court to furnish information to aid enforcement of a money judgment against you. So she's handed these papers at her house by an actual person. Again. Okay. Then, so that's September 28th, 2020. And that's around when they're filming, they're in Tahoe. Yeah, it's it's around the time. Because September 28th, October 4th, yeah. She, then October 4th, 2020, she shares the picture of filming beginning on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So that's when she's on the boat. She's saying, oh, we're so great, blah, blah, blah. But she knows that, like, Tom is out there being deposed in this case. And she was personally served in it. So, yeah. Yes. (laughs) So then October 13th, Tom appears in the Ragomez case again and is sworn in and ordered by the court to return on October 27th, 2020. So I don't know if he was like, oh, I can't find documents because obviously they want more information. Mm -hmm. And then there's documents filed in the Ragomez case on November 2nd, 2020, saying it's a a court hearing. And then the, the documents state that Erica is, quote, out of town and unavailable and that her hearing is continued. So she's still gone. That's November. No, that's November 2nd. November 3rd, Erica files for divorce and sends a text message to her cast members that we all saw on the show. And then in the divorce petition, the part that I was able to like find and actually look at what it said, it, quote, it says, the true nature and extent of the party's separate property and debt is unknown to petitioner at this time. So that's what Erica, she like checked the box that said that saying, like, I don't, I don't know. I can't tell the court yet what we have and what we don't have. So again, just to bring this up, they got married with no prenup. And just so people know, I'm sure Erica probably thought at the time that she had just literally been digging for gold and hit a literal gold mine because she married Tom, who was very successful and had all this money in this huge house and blah, 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 with no prenup. Now, just so people know, typically when you enter into a prenuptial agreement, if it says it has limitations in addition to saying like what you get, like, okay, you get this much upon a divorce. Um, sometimes the prenuptial agreements will say, okay, if the marriage lasts beyond 10 years, 
then it, it goes up to this much or whatever. But there are also typically provisions that say, you know, in exchange, in consideration for the fact that this person is waiving their community property rights that they would have in California, they're also only going to be liable for specific debts. So saying like, Erica probably would be in a much better position if she had agreed to a prenuptial agreement that also limited the amount of debt that she would accumulate during the marriage. Because that's that's pretty standard, especially if you're limiting the amount that you're going to get on the event of a divorce and waiving your rights in a community property state. So she's <laughs> she could have really, I'm sure at the time yeah. that she got married with no prenup, she thought this was great, but that's probably a regret now because it she would there'd be a limitation. And Tom is deeply, 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 deeply in debt to everyone, which <laughs> we'll talk about in the bankruptcy stuff. So in California, and I'm not sure if it's the same in other states, either partner in the marriage can decide to end the marriage and can do so without the other partner. So in this case, it was Erica. She didn't have to have Tom on board to go through with the divorce to file the divorce. The other partner also doesn't even have to participate in the divorce for it to be ordered. They could just proceed without them if they are like digging in their heels and are like, well, I don't want to get divorced. It could just keep going on without them. California is also a no-fault divorce state, which means that you don't have to prove that the other partner did something wrong. I guess in this case... She can prove that the other partner did something wrong, but you don't have to. She also said that the reason was irreconcilable differences, which I feel like is like everyone puts that in California. Just yeah. that there was nothing. It's just we're getting a divorce. No biggie. And you're going to get to this in the timeline, but in Edelson's complaint, he said it was a sham attempt to fraudulently protect Tom's and Erica's money from those that seek to collect on debts owed by Tom and his law firm, Girardi Keys. I think Edelson also noted in a interview that he filed the divorce kind of like forced him to file the complaint. It was kind of like a signal to him that he needed to get things going. Yeah. And I was looking up him as well. He's actually backing a bill introduced recently in Illinois that would bar attorneys from advertising settlements to potential clients when no settlement fund yet exists. So it seems to me like this Edelson guy is like amazing. He's really pushing. I listened so it was on Kate Casey's podcast and she interviewed him and I really I I, I was really impressed with what he said. I mean, for one thing, he is not taking any of the money from like he's making sure the victims get paid first before he takes anything like any attorney's fees for filing the lawsuit on behalf of the victims in the Lion Air case, which is a huge deal because this is it's a lot of work. And so he's really he didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't him his firm's fault. And but yet he's still doing this work, maybe pro bono, if mm -hmm. if there's only so much money and his firm can't get paid. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And that's I think that's really commendable on behalf of his firm. I also um, you know, he made a plea to the other California attorneys saying, hey, we need to band together to make sure this doesn't happen again. I, he made a plea to the attorneys that might be representing other potential victims to say, please don't take money, like do what I'm doing. Make sure that your the victims that you're representing get paid first. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's very commendable. And I, so I was, I was really, and he wasn't sensational at all when he was talking, he was very careful and deliberate. And I, I really appreciated the tone that he took 
with what he's doing. And in fact, he even put in yeah. a written pleading. He even put it, he didn't just say it. It's in the written pleading. It's in the lawsuit where in the actual filing where he says, I am not, our firm is not taking money until these victims get paid. And that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like pushing for a class action task force in Illinois. He's trying to make it easier to see if people or attorneys have been accused of misappropriating funds. So he's like not even, not only doing everything he can do in these lawsuits, he's going above and beyond to try and totally change the system. Yeah. So. And these are the types of Bravo. things that, yeah, that need to be done. Yeah. Caduce, as Ramona would say. Caduce. 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 Caduce to him. These are, <laughs> these are all of the types of things that need to happen to help restore trust in the legal community. Because when something big happens like this, it really tears at the fabric of what we do and and the fact that we're supposed to be ethical and we, I feel like attorneys have a bad enough rap as it is anyway, when a lot of us are not like that. So I, mm-hmm. yeah. Another question about the divorce. So he called it a sham to protect Eric and Tom's money. People have asked us, how would that protect their money? Did she just divorce him to try and like protect her assets? How does that work? Okay. I'm not licensed in California, but in researching this, I don't think it would help so much. The fraudulent transfers thing is a different issue, but just Erica getting divorced, because in California, the debts are community property, just like the assets are community property, it's not it's not going to help so much Like for her to try to get divorced. And I really don't think Erica did know the extent of the debt and liability that had been going on for years for Tom Girardi. I think she would have divorced him a long time ago if she had known that this was going on. But again, because the debts are equally theirs that were accumulated during the marriage, it, that's not going to help. That's, I mean, getting divorced is not going to help that. But could it help if they were able to get the divorce going, the divorce ends, and then she starts making more money after? That would no longer be community property, right? Right. And so anything that, and actually, I that's another reason why I kind of thought Erica maybe didn't know the actual extent of this, because on the, the one page that I was able to see of the filing, it, it asked to list the date of separation. And the date of separation in California is the date that the court generally will start looking at when assets are no longer, like, so what you earn after that, like, if you get separated, mm-hmm. then then that's, you're apart. And so that would be your own stuff that's not considered like in the Like her mar- Bravo money. Right. In the marital state. Yeah. And on that form, she clicked unknown. So she didn't put a date. And we saw her on the show talking about how she moved out and then had him serve the next day and she'd already had a new apartment. And you would think that if she knew, especially if she knew the full extent of all of this, that she would have clicked the little thing, like asked her attorney to click the little thing and be like, oh yeah, hell yeah, I'm leaving like the first day that I can. I'm getting my little moving truck and my armchairs or whatever it is that she took and moving into what she called her little dollhouse, which is 2,000 square feet. So whatever. It's fine. Yeah, I want fine. that. Yeah. Um, so you would think she would have put that on there to at least have something that said, here's the date of separation. But maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe your attorney's like, look, we can show the date that you rented this apartment. So maybe it doesn't really matter so much what you yeah. put on this Yeah. Form. Maybe they could go back and like make it earlier even. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. She was still maybe she'll make there, it, but... Yeah, but it was coronavirus, so maybe that'll. I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe she's. It's gonna be hard because what she said on the there. show. She said she was. They were together, yeah, and she was still living there. So that's what she said <sighs> on yeah. camera. But. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Legal team. Have you guys been on Quince's website recently? I shopped on there like three years ago for the first time and bought myself a bunch of cashmere sweaters. I lived in the black cashmere sweater, lived in it. And I hadn't shopped on there for a while because my cashmere sweaters lasted for a really long time. But I decided to go back on there and, oh my gosh, have they completely expanded everything that they offer. The workwear, they have washable silk. And I mean, it's so affordable. I also shared with you all that I'm recently engaged and I'm in the middle of wedding planning. So anytime I'm shopping, I'm thinking about wedding, 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 wedding. And they have everything I need for the wedding. I just booked my honeymoon. We're going to go to Southeast Asia. It's going to be hot there. And I've been looking for good linen pieces. Guess what? Quince has good linen pieces and they start at only $30. Then I'm like, okay, we need to get our wedding bands. You know who has fine jewelry now? 14 karat gold, Quince. So I send the link to Avery and I'm like, you have to get your wedding band from here. It's affordable and it looks just like any other wedding band. I mean, it looks great. Another thing I'm doing, again, I have wedding on the brain. I want to look my best. So I'm like, okay, I really want cute little matching sets to go work out in. It's the only way I can get motivated. I have to like wear a cute little matching set. I've gotten really into Pilates. And guess what? Quince has the matching sets. They look identical to matching sets I've already purchased from another sports brand. They have the same thing. And at a fraction of the cost, I was able to get two tops and one pair of pants for the same price that I could only get one set at this other sportswear place. I mean, come on. Quince is just killing it. If you've shopped there before, it's time to go back on again. They have just completely expanded the categories of goods that they have to offer. They're not just all about cashmere sweaters anymore. They have got a ton of stuff, and I highly recommend you go check it out. If you're ready to go try out Quince, go to quince.com slash docket to get free shipping and 365-day returns. That is q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash docket to get free shipping and 365-day returns. That is an amazing guarantee on their goods. So go check it out. I highly recommend it, guys. Yeah. And then what about, like, spousal privilege? Can she still testify against him? What, what's going on with that? California has some interesting spousal privilege rules. So there's two privileges. This 
in these words are hard for me to say and my accent might come out, but the, <laughs> the, the spousal testimonial privilege is recognized under California Evidence Code 970. And so that's the privilege or spouses while they're married can refuse to testify against each other. And this that's the same in federal court. And so courts have established this rule to protect the institution of marriage by promoting marital harmony, reasoning that society would have more to lose than gain from disrupting the marital relationship this way. So like I that would be like if you saw your husband breaking the law and you observed it, they can't force you to testify as a witness against your husband while you're still married. After they get divorced, she couldn't do that. She couldn't say, I'm refusing to testify. So there's also... But right now she can. She can. Because they're not divorced yet. Yeah, Yeah. they're still still married. Then there's also the marital communications privilege. And that allows a spouse to bar evidence of confidential marital communications from being admitted in court. And that does not terminate upon divorce. I think these privileges are super interesting because it's the court basically saying that we think marriage is so important. We're not going to let a prosecutor force you to testify against your husband while you're still married. I think I want to talk about that more when we go into our episodes on the Teresa and Joe Giudice Mm -hmm. cases. So I kind of want to leave some more of that for that because this really isn't an issue yet in this case, but it is super interesting. Also, so like the federal law on spousal privilege is a really interesting thing to look at. The spousal testimonial privilege, you can you can waive that. So like, let's say they were still married and Erica wanted to testify against Tom. She could do that. She could personally waive that on her own. And that's from a case in the Supreme Court called Trammell versus United States, where the wife was granted immunity if she would testify against her husband. The husband tried to say, no, I'm not going to allow my my wife to testify. I'm going to claim the privilege. And then it went up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said that it is the spouse that holds the privilege. So they can waive that. Now, the marital communications privilege, that one, the other spouse can say, no, I don't want you to talk about the, these communications. But I think that's also going to be different. Like, that's some, them telling you something. So I think that's also going to be different from, like, actually watching them commit a crime. But yeah, I thought that was good to know, I guess. But also just don't marry somebody that commits crimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. Sometimes you can't help it. You don't know. Sometimes you, you also don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ideally, though, don't marry someone that commits crimes. If you can help it. We get it. Sometimes you can't. Yeah. All right. So the divorce is filed. And then in November 13th, 2020, Erica's appearance in the Gomez case gets continued. And then December 2nd, 2020, that's when the Edelson PC lawsuit is filed. We discussed this a bit previously, but the Edelson lawsuit accuses Girardi of embezzling $2 million from the families of the Lion Air victims. And again, Erica J. and EJ Global are named in that lawsuit. The LA Times article comes out the same day. And so... Then (laughs) the cheating text is posted by Erica. That's December 18th, 2020. And that was, I think we all thought it was funny because it appeared to be screenshots from a flip phone. So it looked like it was really old. Although I did hear someone say that Tom still had a flip phone as of a couple years ago. So maybe he was like one of those old guys that kept the flip phone. I don't know. Some (laughs) older attorneys are are super. um, Yeah. (laughs) Super. They're not into the changes. They're super resistant to new technology. And like, I think Ceci and I both worked for older attorneys at one point that still wanted like a dictaphone and like a secretary in there, like doing shorthand. 
Yeah. Um, we're like, no, like well, we have computers now. <laughs> Can we use the computer? I just remember like when those texts came out, people on Reddit and social media and stuff were like looking at her style of jeans because it was like booty yeah. jean photos and trying to figure yes. out when they were from. And I think it was like 2005 or something. So if they yeah. were really from that long ago, it just seems like, again, like Erica being like, look at this. Don't look at all this other stuff happening. Like, right. look at these text messages. Just more misdirection. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody gave it much cred. And I just, I love Bravo fans because they're the best detectives. <laughs> so of, good. They're so good. I love it. I just, it get them on the case. Happy. I yeah. do think that they'll talk about it on the on the show, though. I think. Oh, 100 percent. That's she's going to bring that up. I bet. Yeah, that's going to be a storyline, and it's like, oh god, talk about the lawsuit. Don't talk about yeah. these stupid screenshots that you had saved on your iPhone for 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's weird because some of the things Erica does seem so deliberate. You know, like posting those cheating texts and then deleting them. But then some of them seem just like she's so obtuse. And yeah. has no idea, like, the, some of the horrible things, like, the drawing she posted on her Instagram, it's kind of like, again, it's hard to figure out, like, are you, is this intentional? Do you not get the, do you not understand how this looks? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. She's an enigma. So then December 14th, that's when the U.S. District Judge in Illinois and Chicago froze Tom's assets in a contempt hearing. And so, again, the Lion Air case is the case that the Edelson firm is involved in where they really recognize, hey, these people aren't getting paid. We haven't had an accounting. We haven't been paid. What's going on? And they were they were the ones that were really, really, I think, pushed this into the forefront. So yeah, so right. So we talked about the Edelson filed his own separate lawsuit in early December, but then he also filed a motion in the underlying Lion Air case, which that was the, the crash with all the orphans and widows. And he filed a motion asking Girardi's firm and Girardi to show why they should not be held in contempt for not dispersing the settlement funds. So he essentially told the judge, hey, did you see this? You ordered the funds to go to the victims. Did you see that? Did you notice that he's not doing it? And so it's this brilliant motion by Edelson. He also said it for Erica as well. Erica, she should be held in contempt too because they're, they're married. And Girardi's firm... It's, it's a motion under seal, but we know from the transcript, which is not under seal, and it was actually very interesting to read through. Tom Girardi's firm admitted that four clients were short $500,000 each of their settlement money. So they were paid some, but $500,000 short, which is $2 million. And then there was one fifth client that they didn't think received any funds at all, but it's unclear where the missing money went. The judge was pissed. Like, this judge, bravo. Yeah. He was piss. He was like, well, we know the one place where the money didn't go and it was to the families. And that's the part that makes this a finding of contempt appropriate. Whether it went to Mr. Girardi personally or other third parties, it didn't go to the people that I ordered it to go to. So he held Tom Girardi in contempt and Girardi's firm in contempt. He wanted to order his two former law firm partners in contempt as well but they filed a motion to oppose that saying like they didn't really know anything about the funds because Jordy handled it himself which we talked about in an earlier episode. Which I, I will say that seems like it's been consistent and unequivocal that Girardi was the only person that had access to the finances. He's the one that did the trust account. He was also like this actually in reality the sole partner of the firm, the sole owner of it. And I know I said this before in another podcast, but again, if you are interacting with an entity where 
there's only one person in charge of the finances and that person never has anyone else do anything with it and is the sole signatory. Yeah. That's a huge red flag. Huge. And if it's if it's a large business doing with large sums of money, that's a big deal. That's that's a sign that you should be very wary because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's no good. Yeah. So yeah. what does what does contempt actually mean? Like contempt of court, which is actually a phrase that I love, like to be held in contempt. Because I think personally, we hold we hold people in contempt all the time. <laughs> I've held people in contempt. It's just that he's saying that he, the judge issued this order, Judge Dirk, and I want to say him by name because the quotes that he has in here are amazing. Yeah. But just being like, I issued this order and you didn't abide by it. So you're in trouble. Like sometimes yeah. there are sanctions that come along with it. This one, he just wanted Tom to figure out where the heck the money went and to right. give the victims their money plus interest. And so right. he ended up freezing Tom's assets and said he would appoint a trustee to see where the funds went. But this was before the bankruptcy proceedings started. So he was right. about to just go in on his own, get a trustee going. He didn't yeah. even want the trustee to be paid. He said it like on the record. He was like, figure this out with the victims first and then figure out the money. If I can read some quotes from him, because it kind of echoes what you said in our first episode when we talked about this. He said, this isn't that difficult. You learned in law school. We all did. Ethics 101. When you get money that belongs to a client, you put it in an escrow fund and you don't touch it. No matter what your personal financial situation is, no matter what kind of pressures you're under, if you touch client money, you're going to be disbarred and quite possibly charged criminally. And then this is the judge that ended up referring it to criminal federal prosecutors. So he was like so mad. Like, Which he should have been, and that's 100% right. And it does give you, like, at least, I feel proud reading that. It's like somebody saw this and immediately did exactly what they should have done. And mm-hmm. it was this federal judge. And I think most of us are terrified of ever getting on the wrong side of a federal judge because they do have that kind of power, as they should. Yeah, and it's straight just, up froze yeah. Tom's assets, the law firm's assets. And then that extended onto Erica because they weren't divorced yet. So right. So what, is, what does it mean to freeze assets? They can't touch the money. Unfortunately, there are different boundaries of how frozen assets can be. But there wasn't, it, it didn't say in the transcript or his order, like, if Tom could still, he couldn't, essentially, he can't make withdrawals from the money. He can't transfer anything. It's just untouchable. And like, right. it wasn't clear to me if he could like grab it to go get Taco Bell, you know, but... <laughs> I don't think he could. And there wasn't, it didn't say specifically what he could and couldn't do, but generally you just can't touch it. It's just, right. you're cut off from right. it. He also said these are widows and orphans. Half a million dollars for any one of these families is a significant amount of money, life-changing money, given the tragedy they went through. Like this judge, Judge Durkin, bravo. Yeah. And More yeah, it kadoos. is. Caduce. Caduce. I'm like, I can't even get my, I'm like, I, I'm, I channel Ramona and then I turn into Ramona and I can't even get my Ramona-isms correct. I'm like, radicchio, radicchio, regai, regay. Like, <laughs> yeah. And the assets being frozen ended up having to be lifted in January because of the bankruptcies. So the bankruptcies right. were like, hey, we got this. We'll tap in. Yeah. But this is also where Tom's defense counsel asked for a mental evaluation to be done on Tom. 
So it was in this transcript during the contempt proceedings when the defense counsel was like, I can't even talk to my client. He's not making any sense. He said, I'm simply not able to communicate with him effectively. He's unable to effectively advise me on how to defend him in this matter. I understand the gravity of it, but he's saying like Tom couldn't understand what was going on. Tom told him there were only $15,000 left in the firm's account. He couldn't figure out why certain people weren't paid. He said, I believe Tom is attempting a good faith to assist me. I'm just not working with a man who's able to do that. And we need to understand from a mental health professional why that is occurring. And the judge didn't really give that any mind. I think he just wanted to figure out where the money was. And that's why he was like, I'm going to appoint a trustee. But this is kind of like the first place where I saw someone questioning his mental capacity. And that was in this hearing was in December 15th. Right. So one thing I want to bring up too is this. So this came out December 15th or December, was it December 14th? 15th was the hearing. December, that same day, the LA court. So what we're talking about is federal court. And then the same day, December 15th in the LA court, in the Regomez case, there was an order to show cause as to why defendants Thomas Girardi and Girardi Key should not be reported to the California State Bar for misconduct and violation of the rules of professional conduct for withholding settlement funds. That's that's another big deal. Yeah. So the so order to show. Of, yeah. I, sorry, yeah. not to cut you off, but it just kind of seems like Edelson was the one that started this like momentum going. He was the first one to like yeah. put a spotlight on it with his lawsuit. And then with yeah. the order in the Ryan Lion Air case, I keep saying Ryan Air, Lion Air <laughs> case. And then, sorry, you can I, I I cut you off. Oh no no, it's so yeah. So I agree with you. So it's Edelson and then this Chicago federal judge really doing what the exact right thing that a federal judge should do upon receiving this knowledge because he's absolutely right. It's simple. Where's the money? You got the money. Where is it? Why haven't they been paid? Like, all he wants is for these victims to actually get their money. And it was the exact right thing to do. So then, again, LA Times tapping in and getting, like, this amazing long-form reporting done. They, on December 17th, the LA Times article comes out, The Legal Titan and the Real Housewife, The Rise and Fall of Tom Girardi and Erica Jane. That's an excellent article. We've referenced it before. And it goes into a lot of the history of these other complaints and things that were done. And the fact that this had been in California, kind of something that should have been taken care of a while ago. All right. So then the day after that LA Times article comes out, December 18th, so all this stuff is happening so fast. Like, it's like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. It's like a house of cards that like once somebody finally tipped it over, it just started to go. So December 18th, that's when the involuntary chapter seven bankruptcy is filed against Tom. That's the personal bankruptcy so it's like Henri Tom Girardi. Ceci, did you want to talk about the 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 bankruptcy a little bit? I kind of want to talk about the conservatorship first, even though I think the conservatorship happened after the bankruptcies. Yeah, no, that makes that makes total sense. So what were we able to find out about that? Unfortunately, not that much. Uh, I think we have context clues of what happened and we know generally like how a conservatorship is started or entered into. So like I mentioned before, during that contempt hearing is when Girardi's defense counsel was like, there needs to be a mental evaluation. And then I think his brother, Robert Girardi, filed a conservatorship on behalf of Tom to be the conservator over Tom's estate and person. So meaning over the estate is his finances, which is nothing. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of debt. His bank accounts, his home, like his property. And then over the person is over his health decisions. 
So things yeah. like doctor's appointment, food. It can extend like what meals he eats. Just right kind of overseeing him. To get one, you have to file an application on the California website. It's very detailed and specific about what you need, but you need like a declaration from a medical professional. And here we do have the declaration from Tom's doctor who evaluated him and said that he... Let me pull it up. I actually don't have it up. It was done by a California licensed professional. He said that Tom had dementia that impairs his ability to understand the hearing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's difficult because we, they were talking about how Tom was giving presentations at events and giving speeches and he seemed to be like he was fully with it. And I mean, I know we can't trust what Erica says, but then Erica's on the show talking about, oh, yeah, we had dinner every night. And for years, we've heard her saying he's just sharp as a tack. He's blah, blah, blah. But in the recent so, episode, she noted his anger and his outbursts. Yeah. And I wonder. So in the, in the declaration as well, it's a secondary to his dementia. He also has moderately inappropriate mood states of anger, anxiety, fear, panic, and helplessness. Okay, but like if you have committed crimes for decades <laughs> and embezzled, wouldn't that? I mean, those yeah. outbursts. We saw we watched Jen Shaw on The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. She had those same outbursts. That doesn't mean that she doesn't know what's going on. It just means that she is panicking because yeah. she's, you know, so I, yeah. that's a difficult one. I don't know. There's different levels here. So he has major impairment of the ability to understand and communicate either verbally or otherwise, recognize familiar objects or persons. He can understand and appreciate quantities. So I guess money amounts. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard for him to to use abstract concepts to plan things. He has thought disorders. He does not have hallucinations or uncontrollable and intrusive thoughts. So just interesting to go through and see what the doctor found specifically for him. So after you have a declaration, there's also an investigation by a court investigator and a hearing. I didn't realize there was an investigation by a court investigator for this. So that's interesting. Okay, so thinking about the Britney Spears conservatorship, is this the same type of process that they had to do for Britney Spears? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Brittany, similarly to Tom, started with like a temporary conservatorship that then was ordered permanent after a second hearing. So it's a high bar from what I understand and from the legal commentary I've read from other lawyers commenting on Brittany's case. Like it is difficult to obtain a conservatorship in California. There, there is. Did a she obtain it in California or was it in her home state in Louisiana? Okay, it was in California, was in California. That, where they first did it. Yeah. So here's my question, and I don't know, I'm kind of springing this question yeah. on you, but Sessie's a really good Britney scholar, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just watched like six hours of YouTube videos on the. On I have not gone down that rabbit hole yet, and I know it's, I know I'm going to, but. It's a good anyway, rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. But here's my concern with the conservatorship is who's on the other side? Generally, in the United States, not generally, we have an adversarial legal process. And so it's the the philosophy behind that is you've got one side advocating really hard for, you know, one side, and then you've got the other side advocating for the other point of view. And in a conservatorship, 
who's on the other side? Who's making those questions? Who's who's looking at it with a real trying to poke holes or make sure that it's correct? If if like who's doing that for a conservatorship? I assume it's this investigator. I mean, so the conservative can have legal counsel who is supposed to be their representative. But who picks that legal counsel? Like who? She's supposed to. She's a, mm. like Brittany was technically allowed to choose her own counsel, but they I you know, I haven't watched those six hour YouTube videos in a while. But my understanding was that they just kept pushing it off for her and kept saying, oh, no, she's too mentally unwell to choose her own counsel. Mm. So it was this like weird catch 22 where they were like, well, you're in a conservatorship and she wants to get her own counsel. But they're like, no, you're too mentally un- unwell to get your own counsel. I, I <laughs> Hate it's a terrible about that process. So yeah, much. I hate it so much. But Tom um, was represented okay. by counsel that he chose, so yeah. you can be represented by your own counsel, and you can also end it. And I guess in Tom's situation, it was temporary first, and then he had another hearing where the court investigator again investigated to make sure that it was you know everything that was in the initial application was still true. And Tom spoke at that hearing. Yeah, and this was. So February 1st, 2021 is when the court granted that Robert Girardi be Tom's conservator. And then, oh, I guess with the initial temporary conservatorship, the state bar of California objected to it, saying, like, we don't think this is legit. We have some disciplinary action we want to take against him. And if you order this, if you order the temporary conservatorship, then we can't discipline him. So they objected to it, which I didn't realize that the state bar of California was like, yo, don't go through with this. Like, right. Don't pull the trigger yet. Yeah. Don't pull the trigger. We want to discipline him. Edelson PC. Wow, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Yeah. Edelson PC also filed an objection stating that the, also that the dementia diagnosis was a sham and he had his own reasons because of the other lawsuits going on. Edelson, our our hero in these (laughs) cases. Yeah. But then the court ruled on the temporary conservatorship stating he had no reason to disbelieve the diagnosis. And then... There was another wave of briefing and investigation, and Edelson and the State Bar of California could have again filed objections, but they didn't for the permanent one. There they had the hearing, and Tom spoke at it, and he said, obviously I have a disagreement with conservatorship altogether, and I want to do everything we can to dissolve it as soon as possible. So it kind of seemed to me like he didn't even realize that you're in it. Like, yeah, you know, he thought maybe there was still like a hope that he could get out or that he wasn't fully on board with being in a conservatorship at all. Huh. And then I thought it'd be interesting to just touch on lightly what happens next, how someone could get out of a conservatorship, especially given the Britney hearing that we, I guess, heard. Yeah, that was, that was, I was so glad. Maybe we should do a whole episode on Britney. Like, <laughs> yeah. A, a digression episode. There's just yeah, so much. I know. Um, yeah. But like, okay, so, How would somebody get out of that? Like, so how, just briefly, how would they do that? Yeah, so conservatorships usually can end when the person can prove that they can make sound financial decisions and can take care of themselves. You can petition to end it. And again, the court investigator would go and see whether or not that's true. And it can end. But it's unique to have a conservatorship end because it's typically not healthy young people that are in conservatorships. It's typically elderly people with dementia or Alzheimer's, and the conservatorship ends when that person dies. So we've never seen someone with Alzheimer's petition to end it because that disease doesn't really go away. There can be instances where, like, someone gets in an accident and, you know, has 
brain trauma, but with rehabilitation, they get better, they can petition to end it. And it seems like that's what Brittany's trying to do now is petition to end it, even though her, uh, (laughs) I get so heated up about this. Like it makes me want to cry like that her, she didn't know that she didn't know that she could petition to end it. Like, are you effing kidding me in the what? 13 years that you've been under this or how many years I can't count but like your attorney never told you you could just end it oh yeah her attorney's that's getting paid what fifteen thousand dollars a week or something yeah ridiculous I don't know if that's the right amount but I know it's a lot and it's been that way the whole time and you that's like there's clearly a conflict there and also when she was talking when Brittany was talking and she was saying about how she watched Miley Cyrus at like the VMAs being herself and doing whatever she wants. And like, she's like, I, I was no different than that. And if you think about celebrities like Johnny Depp and Nicolas Cage that have made terrible life choices in some instances, I mean, Nicolas Cage had to file for bankruptcy and he's got all these crazy things he's purchasing. It's like the men seem to be like, okay, fine. Yeah. They're going to do drugs and run around and spend their money and we'll let them do it. But when it's like, why, why do we have this, sort of almost patriarchal view where it's like, oh, it seemed okay to do it to a woman. Like you can't just run around and spend all your money and do drugs. Like if like, like what? I don't, it just seems. I know. And thinking of Britney being at like the VMAs and watching Miley Cyrus like smoke pot and be herself and twerk and do whatever she wants. And then Britney never being allowed to express herself that way. And you know what was fascinating too? When my husband heard her voice, he was like, that's not Britney's voice. And I was like, yes, it is. She has always had a lower voice. They made her sing in a oh, higher yeah. girlish yeah. register. They forced her to do that. And he was blown away. And it was totally different from like her YouTube, or not her YouTube, excuse me, her Instagram videos that she posts. Yeah. Or, which, but she's, it's, she's not posting, but... Like, no, that's the thing. They posted, they had video of her and it made me wonder because like she's always looking up or like, it's like they have cameras around. I'm sure they have cameras around wherever she's living and they put cameras up and then they record it and then they post that on Instagram. They post oh. stuff that makes her look crazy. I know. I think they recorded all those when she was under her like lithium. I think they just have a reserve mm-hmm. of those old videos where she sounds very different. And right. Because she sounded so well-spoken at the hearing. It wasn't at all like she sounds in those videos where she's like, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. So now Tom and Brittany are both in conservatorships. Or not now, but they're both in similar ones. And that's the same one Brittany has. It's over her person and her state as well. Yeah. Well, free Brittany. Free Brittany. Don't free Tom. Free Brittany. Don't free Tom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it might be our new hashtag hashtag free Brittany don't free Tom <laughs> uh, yeah so we'll see what happens with all that but I think we should end it here and talk about the bankruptcies in our next episode okay yeah because there's there's a lot in the the bankruptcies um, mm-hmm. there's a lot oh but just briefly before we do that just so you know the status of some of the cases we've talked about they are stayed because of the bankruptcy and we'll explain all of that in our next episode. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. The Bravo Docket is part of the ACAST Creator Network.